Well, tis the season, and uh, loving, loving Christmas. I'm going to have to really step up my Christmas movie watching this week. I'm a little behind, but uh, it's going to be a good, uh, a good week for us. So this week, okay, it's uh, hung up for us there, so we'll give them just a second. Uh, it, I don't know. It always seems to do it right here. It could be me. It's not me. It's, it's the equipment. So this week, we're continuing our sermon series for Christmas, The Questions of Christmas. And uh, last week, we asked the question, why Bethlehem? You know, we as believers accept Bethlehem. We sing about Bethlehem. But why Bethlehem? Well, we talked about the prophetic reason. We talked about the historic reason. And we talked about the symbolic reason that God chose to have his son, our Savior, born in Bethlehem. And I hope that when you sing Little Town of Bethlehem, maybe you think of it in a little deeper and meaningful light. And so last week, um, I gave you some random Christmas trivia. And at least one of our brothers took my, uh, my joke and, and made hay with it. I mean, was just killing audiences across America. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, the question was this, what do you call a person? Who knows all of the Christmas carols? Every last one of them. You call them a Noel at all. And see, she still thinks it's really funny. See, it was that good. So here's your random trivia for today. In Japan, it's a tradition for people to enjoy Kentucky Fried Christmas. <laughs> What started as a marketing campaign in the 70s evolved into a widely adopted tradition of eating a bucket of KFC for a Christmas celebration. Many people, like in America, order early to ensure they get their KFC. So there's your, your Japanese Merry Christmas KFC chicken box. And it looks to me like they're eating chicken strips. That's not right. But anywho, so uh, there you go. So... I know we fight over turkey or ham. Over there, it's chicken. It's KFC chicken. So Merry Christmas to that. So the question I have for you today is this, is how did Joseph know they had chose a good place to have the baby? After the birth, Mary and Jesus were in stable condition... <laughs> It's so great sitting here and listening to them. Okay, okay. That's right. That's, listen, you don't have to give me credit, but when you tell this, and you will, you think of me because they were in stable condition. I know. What can I say? So today's question is, why no room in the inn? I remember once when I was traveling with the mission agency my family and I served with before coming to ALF, I was scheduled to be in Ohio and at a university, Cedarville University actually, for a missions conference. So I drove to Love Field, I climbed on Southwest Airlines, I flew to Ohio, I get off the plane, grab my bags, go to get my rental car, but there was a problem my license had expired on my birthday. They frown on renting you a car with an expired license. So, I know you're thinking that as your pastor, I simply said, well, thy will be done and went on about my way. But no. I stood back from the rental counters and I looked up and down to find the young, most green, possibly influenced person behind the counter I could. Because I thought, surely, I can blow this by them. Yeah. I did not. Amen. So <laughs> there was no room at the rental booth for Jimmy. It is an inconvenient thing. We live today in a time that is so convenient yet sometimes frustrating has anyone ever gotten to the point of destination and you did not have your reservations yeah anybody yeah okay it 
Did, did you just turn around and come home or was there someplace else you could stay? I'll tell you this one. How would you like to go with your bride on your wedding day and they tell you, um, we gave your reservations to someone else? Now you're wondering who in the world could that have happened to? Yeah. And I simply said, well, we're not going to be married then. We're leaving. That's not true. We, we remained married even to this day. <clears throat> but today, we can secure rooms anywhere in the world and have a reasonable expectation that they will be there for us. When we think about the time of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, we oftentimes will overlay our convenience and all the things that we have today. But you have to understand it was a different time, it was a different place. Bethlehem is still not a big place. And in the time of Jesus, it was even smaller and the reason for all of these people coming to Bethlehem, it's very easy to understand how they would simply be sold out. But the question we ask are, are many, but today I want us to consider, are there some things that we can learn because of the fact there were no vacancies? So let's, let's go here. We can imagine that Joseph thinking, all right, enough's enough. First, my wife-to-be gets pregnant, and now we're living under a constant cloud of scandal and suspicion. Do you ever get to the point where you go, enough is enough? Yeah, we all do. Here's Joseph. Man, his, his bride-to-be gets pregnant, and, uh, you know, that's kind of problematic. And then, you know, the, what his parents thought, what his family thought, what his friends thought, what his neighbors thought... I mean, this was, this was a difficult thing for them on a lot of levels. And then have to travel to Bethlehem and there's no room. <clears throat> Enough's enough already. You ever wake up and your morning starts and you spill your coffee and all these things, you go, that's it, I'm just going back to bed. Just going to start it over. Well, I can only imagine what this was like after traveling approximately 70 miles uphill uh, in an unair conditioned donkey, and, and you get there and there's just nowhere, you know, and you go from door to door because Google's not really working. The cell coverage isn't that great in Bethlehem. Uh, the 5G's overwhelmed, and, and you just have to go door to door, and they simply tell you, uh uh-uh, uh, sorry, chief, not today. So she's great with child. There's this air of, of suspicion, controversy, ac- accusations over them. And then Caesar Augustus decides he's going to take a census. Now, you know the base reason for a census, don't you? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> that's right. Say it again. Taxes. Taxes. One, he wanted to know how many people he was governing, but more than that, he wanted to know where the money was. And so he calls for this census <clears throat> that requires Joseph and his bride-to-be and their child to travel all this way to Bethlehem. What a terribly inconvenient time uh, to call for this and a terribly inconvenient process. And when they finally arrive, there's no hotel rooms. I remember once I flew in, I was, I was in Salt Lake City, I believe it was, and I flew in to Dallas and a dear friend of mine had lost a family member down south of Houston and I called my bride and I just, I just felt like I needed to be there. And so instead of driving home from the airport, I drove south of Houston. And when I got there, the town's about the size of a postage stamp. And when I got there, there were literally no rooms to be rented. And so I drove to the police station to sleep in my car. And the next day when I went to the, the funeral, I, I was dressed like I slept in my car. I looked like I slept in my car. I felt like I slept in my car, but... It was worth it, and they were happy to see me. But for this wonderful young couple, this most assuredly was not the most wonderful time of year. All this way, all this inconvenience, all this discomfort, this was not a wonderful time. We celebrate it as a wonderful time, but in its original context, It was not a wonderful time. Joseph and Mary would soon find out that God had made a giant star 
to guide the wise men to come and visit the newborn child. And the question would easily be asked, if God can create a star so big and so long, could he have held a room? Once again, Seinfeld is... It's not the taking of the reservation. It's the holding of the reservation. God, if you could do that, couldn't you do this? Was it just an overlooked detail? Did did God just forget to book the room? One of my favorite TV uh, commercial series right now is The Challenge Flag. Where they're in a debate and they go, well, I just I'm going to challenge you, and they, you know, it's great. Did did Joseph forget to make a reservation? Did God forget to make a reservation? I don't think so. Or could it be that it was just as God intended it to be, so that even today we could glean a few nuggets of wisdom from the first Noel. President Jimmy Carter, this photograph was taken of President Carter at the age of 95 years old. Now, President Carter and I did not see eye to eye politically. But what President Carter has done since he left the Oval Office is impeccable. He has lived his faith in word, deed, and action. He was married to his bride. How long was he married to uh, Rosalind? 70-something years, a long time. He taught Sunday school in his church. He worked for Habitat for Humanity. If you can't see the picture well enough, he's got a huge black eye because he took a spill on the work site and he's just got this huge shiner, but he's there working. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to visit his church in Plains, Georgia and to have Sunday school taught by a president? Or to go down to a Habitat work site and work alongside a president. Not just Jimmy, not just the mayor, not just maybe a governor, but a president. There's not many of them around. Point of history. Jimmy Carter is the oldest living American president in our history. He's 99 years old today. Uh, This current day, not his birthdays today. How impressive would it be? How, how mem, 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 memorable, there it is, there it is. How memorable would it be to drive nails with President Carter? As neat as that is, I want us today to consider how even greater it is that the God of the universe chose to be among us. It would be incredible to stand alongside a president. But ladies and gentlemen, every day we can stand with the God. Mary gave birth to Jesus and deity invaded time. Look what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, God is not bound up by time. God is never late, amen? But God, his son Jesus, chose to bundle himself inside humanity and time. <clears throat> How many of you wish you had time? Because time is not on your side. <clears throat> but when Jesus was born, God invaded time, this construct that man has created, so we have a way of being late <clears throat> for the first time in human history. Second, when Mary birthed Jesus, deity invaded poverty. Wow. <coughs> Pardon me. Second Corinthians says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he, 
excuse me, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, it's hard for us to understand what it means to be God and the wealth and everything that that means. So I wanted to bring it down just a little bit and see if I could put it in a concept um, that we can understand, and I'll, I'll get there in a minute. <coughs> when Mary gave birth to Jesus, he also invaded humanity. And she gave birth to her, her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. The first thing we see is that God's savior, Christ, identification with you and I. From the beginning of his life, Jesus could completely identify with the underprivileged, vulnerable, oppressed, rejected, outcasts, and poor. His parents were not wealthy. He was rejected by the community. He was rejected by religious leaders. He was rejected by innkeepers. He was vulnerable. Would any of us ever imagine of birthing a child in a barn on a night like last night and laying in a feed trough? <clears throat> no. So from his very conception and birth, Jesus can identify with those of the greatest need in the lowliest measure. The latest statistic says this, that in our world, there are over 15 million people who are homeless. 15 million people. Uh, the continent of Africa has the highest content. And the nation is... Um, Gosh, it's escaping me. <clears throat> Jesus understands the needs and the struggles of these folks. <clears throat> when God became one of us, he demanded none of the world's comforts, none of the world's luxuries, none of the world's protections. Doesn't seem like what royalty would do. He's taking the long road around. You're the best. It was funny when I saw him sitting there, I was thinking, is that for me? <laughs> Please, sir, might I have a sip of water? You're the best. I don't care what your bride says. <laughs> Thank you. So I got to thinking about this. Last week, we talked about why Bethlehem. If a man of power, position, and privilege was going to be born, it wouldn't be in Bethlehem. Rome, New York, Washington, Moscow, London, pick a place, Tokyo. But God chose Jerusalem. I'm sorry, God chose Bethlehem. No privilege, no luxury, no pretentiousness. So I got to thinking about how we handle royal birthdays. So here's a, 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 a photograph from uh, O. Uh, 2018 <coughs> of the latest royal baby boy. Um, so I love the headlines down here that uh, Kate went home within, uh, what was it? Uh, in just eight hours after giving birth. Okay. Now I've told you I'm not man enough to be a woman because if I had to birth a child, it'd just kill me. Okay, so, so Kate, I mean, awesome, but <laughs> Kate was going home to a palace. Right? I mean, you know, she wasn't going down to the manger. Now, now, now ladies, don't hate me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying. And they, they talked about uh, what life was going to be like in Kensington Palace. Um, and, they, and they talked about how the, the two older kids were going to adjust. And, uh, you know, I just think about it. This is what royal birth among men looks like. And, and good for them. God bless them. That's awesome. But the son of God... didn't make the cover of people. <clears throat> How long did Mary need to recover? I don't know, but probably a while. Can you imagine? <clears throat> Even in his birth, God chose that his son could relate to the lowliest of humanity. God knew that throughout history there would be homeless people from every part of the world, 15 million plus, trying to stay warm at night who would look up into the stars and in their hearts say, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. But to this, even this, Jesus could say, I know exactly what you're going through. Wow. Do you ever find yourself saying, God, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. God, you don't understand what I'm going through. God, you don't understand how I feel. We can get that way. We all can get that way. Matthew says this. Jesus said to them, foxes have dens and birds have, uh, birds in, excuse me, foxes have dens and the birds in the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus understands. But it's not just the homeless that Jesus can identify with. He can identify with those who are tired. Is anyone tired? The world's ran by tired people, amen? Yes. Don't you wish you could just kind of stack up, sleep? Has anyone ever wished? Man, if I could just get eight hours of good sleep, I catch up. You don't catch up. You don't. You can't stack it up. You can't catch it up. You can't borrow it. You can't steal it. But you know what? Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. And if you're tired, he knows what it's like. Secondly, to be misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? <laughs> yeah. Jesus was misunderstood. He can identify with those who've been lied about. Anyone ever put their, their lying mouth on you? Yeah. They just, you know, well, this is what I think they said. <laughs> Jesus knows what it's like to be lied about. People said that everything he did was through the power of Satan. That's a pretty stout lie. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Has someone you've loved and trusted forfeited and betrayed that? Yeah. It happens. He knew what it was like to be tempted. Anyone ever tempted to sin? Sometimes even on the way to church. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways yet knew no sin. When you go, Lord, you just don't understand how tempting it is. The Lord goes, no, I do. How about this? To those who suffer loss of a loved one. God, you just don't understand. Well, we know that Jesus lost his earthly father, Joseph, and lost his friend, Nazareth. But can I ask you this? Have you ever thought that God the Father lost God the Son? If anyone knows what it means to lose someone you love, it's God. So we see that Christ can identify with us wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever we feel, if we'll take the time and look through eyes of faith in a heart of faith, we can find that our Savior can identify with us. And we can find comfort in that. Secondly, 
we can see our identification with Christ. He identifies with us, now our identification with him. Matthew tells us this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is one of the most inconvenient truths of faith, is faith doesn't mean comfortable. God is more concerned about our eternal security than our temporary convenience. Amen? To follow Christ is a lot of things, but it's not always comfortable. One of the things about the prosperity preachers that just makes me want to spit my eye teeth is they say, if your life is all cushy and roses and and candles and cakes, then you must be doing something right. But if you get on the opposite side of that, you must be doing something wrong. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, thorns come with the roses. Sometimes life is just a big, ugly gorilla, and it throws us around like a Samsonite bag. The fact that we walk and live and love Christ doesn't mean that we aren't going to have difficulties. It just means we don't have to face them alone. And part of our identification with him is sometimes it's going to bring adversity into our lives. If you're going to live for Christ in public and in private, there's going to be times there's going to be adversity. Does anyone else realize it's not as cool to be a Christian as it used to be? I remember back in the day, oh, you're a Christian? Cool. Anybody that wasn't a Christian wasn't cool. That's not the case today. You get adversity. You get unwanted attention. You let someone run for public office and they they will scalp you over your faith. As long as you can quote scripture to support them, they're good. But if you say anything against them, it's like our current uh, speaker of the house. Man, I like the guy. He says, if you want to know what my worldview is, read the Bible. Good on him. Man, I hope he can stick to it. Denial. Anyone ever deny the legitimacy of your faith? Anybody ever deny the fact that Prayer has power and purpose. And they go, oh, that's just a crutch for the weak. Anyone ever deny the value of coming together for corporate worship and service? Yeah. Discrimination? You don't want to hear it, but it here. There are people today that if they, if they know that you're a Christian, that's a mark against you. Now, it shouldn't be in a perfect world, but it can be. How about this? Distrust. Oh, you're one of those? Try being a pastor named Jimmy. Jim Baker, Jim Swagger, Jim Jones. Can I tell you this? There are people who distrust me simply because of the title of my job. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm trying to change that, that, that narrative there a little bit. They distrusted Jesus. They'll distrust us. How about this one? Disdain. There are people who will hate you Because you're a Christian. I mean, what have I ever done to you? Nothing. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, I hate you. Why? Well, because you're a Christian. Okay. Division. Have you ever had a Thanksgiving dinner go sideways over a conversation about faith? What is it? Two things you don't talk about at Thanksgiving? Religion and faith. Uh, I'm sorry, faith and politics. I tell you what, faith will divide a room. It could do it. And then lastly, fear and uncertainty. Has God ever asked you to go someplace you're like, are you sure? Lord, I'm sitting here uh, a lot of years and 
That's where I started. Lord, are you sure? They, are you sure? Yeah. Uncertainty? Yeah. Let's look at our rejection of Christ. We see his identification with us. And if we're going to live for him, our identification with him will come with certain strings attached. And now let's look at our rejection of Christ. Well, Jimmy, this doesn't feel very Christmassy. I know. It's okay. Max Lucado said it this way. The mother and the father of the Lord were pushed out and rejected even before he was born. Our Lord was rejected and turned away. The words, no room for you, followed him throughout his life. Isaiah says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and was esteemed not. How has humanity rejected Christ? Now, what's interesting is almost everybody loves Christmas to varying degrees for varying reasons, but yet they reject the Christ of Christmas. And we've rejected him historically. Some would say this, Yes, he was born, but he ain't God. Yeah, you know, well, so was Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, you know, all them. Yeah. He was born, but he ain't God. I like this one. He was just a man. In fact, he may have even had a wife. A lot of money's been made off this theory. This theory is a lie. Because if Jesus were just a man then I am just as lost as I was 35 years ago. Jesus was a man. Jesus is a man, but he wasn't just a man. And ladies and gentlemen, it makes for a great movie. It makes for a great mystery. But Jesus did not have a wife. Most assuredly, he did not marry Mary Magdalene. And no, they did not have children. Jesus is God's son, It's not true. You see, either we try to drag ourselves up to equality with God or we try to drag God down to equality with us. Uh, Then we reject the Bible. It was written by men a long time ago. That's old. It is old. That's true. And it was written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I like this. and It's sampled from other men's stories. Quote, it's plagiarized. It's just, you know, they just rob people from other places. Well, okay. Um, but apparently, if you want to be the president of a major university, plagiarism's okay. Easy, easy. And I like this one. The Bible's mostly fiction with a little bit of fact sprinkled in for effect. That's a sad place to be, but that's where the world is. There's just enough truth in the Bible, just enough. And then I, I like how intellectually we've, re, we've rejected him. <laughs> we have all that we need to know through science and the discoveries of men. Hmm. That's interesting. I like that one. See, I, I love, uh, what's the new space, uh, the new photograph um, Web, I love the web. Hubble's still awesome, but Web's even more awesomer. But on the regular, that is changing everything we thought we knew about creation. Why? Because guess what? Men doesn't know everything. And we call things, we take things as theories and we place factual attitudes on them. My friend's, Man does not know everything. We don't even know what we don't yet know. But we'll intellectually dismiss God because we believe that we are the pathway to knowing everything. Um, See, I think we're our own greatest argument against evolution. You know why? Is if we were evolving, then we actually should be getting better. 
We should have, we should have less war, less strife, uh, less disease, less, 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 less. That's what evolution is, is it, we get better. Um, mm, no, it's not happening. Humanly, I like this one because I represented this team for some time in my own personal life. <laughs> I'm my God and I'm responsible for myself. This works until you being your God doesn't go so well. This works when you like the prosperity theology in a human form. Is I'm my own God when I'm doing well, but when things go, I'm going to be looking for someone or something else, right? That's what we do. We don't need God in the good, but we need somebody in the bad. And then lastly, if there is a God, then I will be accountable to him. That's really the root of the cause, is the reason humanity doesn't want a God is because we would have to be accountable to him. And we don't like that. We don't want that. And so Christmas is a, is a beautiful time of year, and it's such an, an amazing oxymoron because we want all of it, but if we're not careful, we reject it in the way that we live the other 364 days of our lives. And as believers, we also need to be very careful because we can become so busy. There was just no room for him anywhere. And it's the same in our lives and of the lives of many people today. He is still being crowded out with all the festivities, all the busyness. He is often just an afterthought. Instead of a place of honor at this time of year, Christ is often shoved into a corner And we can passively say there's no room. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because I had to be willfully conscientious of the way that I love the holidays. They go by far too quickly for me. And I had to make sure that I did not not take time for what it really is. Now, is it perfect? No, we're not perfect by any means. But I can honestly say for myself, for my family, we are more intentional about this thing. And my brothers and sisters, this is my, my love counsel to you. Be very careful that you don't pursue the perfection of the holidays so much that you miss the purpose of the holidays. Be very careful because we can do it too. We can do it with the greatest of intentions. Be careful. The same child that came to make, this same child came to make room for us even though time and time again humanity has told the Son of God, we simply have no room for you. Jesus continues to tell humanity, I have made more than enough room for you. John 14 tells us this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will make, excuse me, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This same world that from his very conception and birth has said we don't have room for you Jesus continually and persistently says to our world I've made room for you it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter how you feel it doesn't matter what other people have said it doesn't matter Jesus says, I have room for you. That, my friends, is the essence of Christmas. That God says, I have room for you. 
What a stark contrast to the conception and the birth of Christ. No room, no room, no room. But Jesus says there is room. Here's his invitation to us. Just as the earthly parents knocked on the innkeeper's door, Jesus still knocks on our door. Revelation 3 tells us this. Behold, I stand and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. The beautiful thing about Christmas, I like to receive gifts. It's wonderful to be thought of. I like giving more than I enjoy receiving for sure. But the beautiful thing about Christmas is just like the first Noel, God is offering a gift, the gift of his son. And a gift's really only a gift once it's received, right? I can bring a gift for you. I can hold the gift out to you, but until you receive the gift, it's not your gift. And on that first Noel, God extended his son to you and says, I have a gift for you. And every day of your life, God has extended this gift to you in his son, Jesus Christ. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter, that gift has always been extended to you. And that gift remains extended to you until one day you close your eyes to this temporary world and you open it to the eternal A wise man once said, the grave will keep you where it finds you. God holds that gift out to the world, even this Christmas, and even to the people in this room, and says, I have a gift for you. And his name's Jesus. And what's contained in this gift? So I remember when I was a younger man, I'm not one that's given to being eat up by curiosity. But I have two sisters that are. In fact, one Christmas, evidence bore out the fact that the two of them went in under the cloak of darkness and unwrapped the gifts with their names on them so that they could know what was inside of them. Now, I'm going to tell you the other side of the story before I finish this illustration. So my father, in his infinite wisdom, says, I shall correct that. (laughs) Next Christmas, eight children, by the way, the Christmas tree was hardy. And every package under the tree had numbers on them. with the code book held by one man. So whether it was a big box or a little box, whose is this? I don't know. That one's going to 07862. (laughs) Needless to say, some crazy was driven. But what does this gift contain? Well, first, it contains a promised birth in Bethlehem. Second, It contains a sinless Savior who 33 years from his birth would walk up Calvary's mountain, a condemned man under the lies of man who will die for the sins of his people, not of his own. And I am counted among those people. I am the chief of sinners. And on that hill, he died between Two other men. And we see them and we contemplate them and we 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 think about them. But one of the things I want to remind you this morning is this is those two other men were somebody's little boys. Somewhere someone held those two little boys. And dreamt the dreams that parents dream. We don't know what wind blew them 
up Calvary's mountain. Guilty? Yes. Worthy of the punishment? Yes. But let us never forget the humanity because they were someone's little boys. Jesus died on that cross, not for his sins, but for the sins of his people, for my sins. And he gave himself as a gift, a propitiation, big word, use it tomorrow, you'll look smart. He paid a debt he didn't owe for people who owed a debt they couldn't pay. That's me. And he gave himself up and they buried him in a borrowed tomb. Borrowed because he wouldn't be there long. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And he rolled the stone away. In raising him from the dead, he validated Jesus for who he says he is. He validated Jesus for what he says he has done. And he validated Jesus for what he has offered to each and every one of us. A room. And he rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that mankind could get in. And so my final question to us today as we consider why no room in the end, have you personally received Jesus to be your Savior? You may have thought about him. You may have read about him. You may have been taught about him. You may have sung about him. But have you ever received him? Have you ever taken that gift extended by God the Father and taken it unto yourself? If not, may I ask this simple question? Why not? Why not? Why not today? Today would be a great day. Today would be the perfect day to receive that gift. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes just for a moment. In a crowd this size, we're going to do our very best to give everyone just a little bit of privacy. And I would ask you, my friend, both here in the worship center and those of you at home, have you ever personally received Jesus as your personal Savior? Was there a time and a place? Now, the details could be fuzzy. That's fine. But you know that you know that you know. And if you don't know, then my friends, you can know. Yours may not be as clear as mine on a January morning in 1987 on the front steps of Park Street Baptist Church, Greenville, Texas. That's where I received Jesus' gift for me. What about you? If you don't know that you know, my friend, how about we let you know today? If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your personal Savior or you're even unsure if you have, my friend, let me explain to you very quickly what I am not asking of you. I am not asking you to join this church. I am not asking you to reach into your wallet or your purse and pull out one thin dime. I'm not asking anything of you other than this. Would you please receive Jesus today? Would you allow him to be your Lord and Savior that you might experience the promises and the hopes and the power and the presence that only God can give you? My friend, Christianity is at its best when it's experienced. The day I got saved, I didn't have all the answers. I had more questions than answers. I just knew I needed something more than my humanism could produce. And God met me there. And he has been fulfilling his promises ever since. My friend, God would like to meet you here today. And you may be asking yourself, Jimmy, well, what would I have to do? Well, the Bible says that before by grace through faith are you saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
You must express your personal faith in Jesus. And in just a moment, I'd like to lead us in a prayer that you can whisper from your heart to the heart of God. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the faith expressed in praying. My friend, you can walk out of here different than you walked in. And if I were going to pray in an expression of faith to receive Christ as my Savior today, I would pray something like this. And I would invite you to whisper from your heart to the heart of God this prayer. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and there's nothing that I can do to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. At this moment, I trust Christ alone as the one who bore my sin when he died on the cross. I ask for the forgiveness only you can offer, and I ask your son, Christ Jesus, to be my savior. Help me today to know and to love you more and more, and give me a home, give me a home in heaven when my life on earth is through. My friend, if that is the prayer from your heart to the heart of God, welcome to the family of God. He loves you. And I would like to ask you to share that decision with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are here this morning and you say, Jimmy, that's my prayer, would you just slip your hand up and share that decision with me? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? I would love to help you start this journey of faith. It will be my joy. Father, we thank you today that there may not have been room in the end, but Father, there's room in your heart and there's room in your heaven. And Father, there was room on your cross for my sins and the sins of the world. And Father, we thank you that today, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, Lord, Christmas is all of that and so much more. And we pray, Lord, that as we walk through this wonderful Christmas season, Lord, that there will be joy in our heart, peace upon our lips, and a testimony in the where, the when, and the why of our lives. Father, for those who may still be wrestling with this decision of faith, I pray that you would bless them. Father, I pray that they would ask and talk to one of us, myself, Lord, that they could ask the questions that they have, that we could give them the very best information available. And Lord, that whether they would receive or to reject, Lord, they could make it with all of the information we can give them. They can make an informed decision. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time. And Father, we thank you for the salvations that have been witnessed to us today. May you be glorified for these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen, amen, amen.